Hey, veterans. Welcome to the VA Claims Insider Podcast. We are veterans helping veterans get the VA disability rating and compensation you deserve. I'm your host, Air Force Service Disabled Veteran Brian Reese, and each week we share VA disability claim tips, tricks, strategies, and lessons learned to help you win, service connect, and get rated at the appropriate level, even if you've already filed or been denied. So sit back, relax, and enjoy this week's episode. Boom! That intro gets me amped every time, man. What's every up, time. everybody? I'm uh, SVC Donnie Witten. This is my brother from another mother, Coach Andrew Porter. Good morning, afternoon, wherever you may be in this beautiful world of ours. How are you doing, Donnie? To, you no know, problem. Welcome to uh, a, an episode of VA Claims Insiders. Today we'll be going over how to file for PTSD and 2021. I myself am a United States Army combat veteran. I served from 99 to 06. And my fellow co-host here, Andrew Porter, little known fact, we went to the same high school just a couple years apart. So uh, we have a long history and hopefully we'll bring you some great information today. Same wrestling coaches, same high school, you know, <laughs> all that good stuff. Uh, I, I myself served uh, across two different uh, um, enlistments, once in the Air Force, don't hold that against me, and then once in the Army as an airborne infantryman. Um, I was an NCO in both branches, combat veteran in both branches, and uh, I find myself working alongside great folks like Donnie and everybody here at VACI and uh, vets like you. So we're glad we're here to answer some questions today and maybe educate you guys on a little bit of PTSD filing. First time live viewer, Joshua Campbell. Thanks for coming out, man. If you all would let us uh, let us see your, your your service dates and your branch, and tell us how you're doing. U.S. Army retired from Ohio. Thank you for your service. That just says Facebook user. <laughs> I don't see a name there. Must be must be uh, chimed in anonymously. It's Jason Bourne. It's Jason Bourne. <laughs> I too like to remain anonymous. <laughs> Let some folks roll in here. I know it's early. Yeah, I, uh, I always get amped up when we're doing these. I have to take like half the day off afterwards. All my energy's gone. <laughs> I got to go mow the lawn. Oh. <laughs> Richard Staples, Vietnam, USMC. Hoorah, devil dog. Simplify. Thanks for coming out, brother. Gus Allman, U.S. Army retired. Oh, there's a paratrooper for you, Andy. Where's Bill he at? March. <laughs> hey, Shanna. Old Rick Dowdy. We know Rick Dowdy. Rick Dowdy, USMC. Memphis. I don't think he ever misses a show. Kevin from Boston already had CMP, was told greater than 50% for my service. It was a virtual CMP. The next is in person. Vet from 68 to 70. 
I, I, I hope those results come out great, brother. Open and vulnerable. Am I clicking on this stuff? There you go, Ron. <laughs> USMC, 67, 74, 100% P&T, thanks to VACI. Another life changed. Love to see it. Served 8993 Army Desert Storm, Donnie Taylor, and National Guard and Air Force Reserves. Thank you for Hey, yourself, we got brother. something in common there. The two yeah. branch split. <laughs> I wonder how common that is, really. I knew a lot of guys. I knew a lot of uh, Marine Corps guys that came over to the Army and did the Q course. So, Navy Corpsman. That's no easy job there. Yeah, I'd... Uh, Army CID, retired city police. Thank you, uh -oh. Thank you Randy. <laughs> we will not be posting my address. No, I'm I have no information for you, uh, Agent uh, Felix. <laughs> no information for you. Thanks for coming out, Michael. Good to yeah, see you, Chris. Think, retired I think, Navy. I think it's, it's fairly rare for people to cross branches. Yeah. Drew, U.S. Army, 1981, just had second eval. VA wanted to know the difference between PTSD and MHD. Robert C. Drew the third. Thank you for your service, brother. USMC 82 to 88. Simplify, John. How you doing, Cindy? U.S. Army from 91 to 2001. PTSD exam is yesterday. All right. Well, I hope you get that claim back favorably. See. Annette, Army 9903, South Dakota. Thank you, Annette, for coming out and thank you for your service. Brandon Tango, U.S. Army, retired, awarded 100% PT in March. Congrats, brother. Woo, there we go. 78th U.S. Air Force Hospital Squadron. So today we are going to be talking ETSD 2021. Every claim requires that there be an in-service event. So first thing that has to happen is there has to be an event in service that is a stressor that is verifiable to a certain degree that causes trauma to start your claim. It's important to be able to verify that event with the VA. And there are lots of ways to do that, right? The, the VA has something called duty to assist. So maybe if you don't have any, any records, um, you'll be able to make the VA go and get those. I, I, I always say never, never let um, a lack of service treatment records or service records particularly prevent you from, from filing your claim. Um, there's, there, there's, there are a lot of ways out there to push the VA to get those records, but what you do need to do and what you can go do now is get a diagnosis and a diagnosis is required for every claim. I strongly urge everyone to get an independent mental health evaluation prior to filing your claim. And that's just because, you know, when, say you go to buy a car, right? And the dealer, the dealer tells you this, this is a great car, take our word for it. And you say, no, I'm gonna take it to a mechanic. And the dealer says, no, we have a mechanic right here, just ask him. Are you gonna take the, the dealer's, uh, the, the word of the mechanics dealer? 
No, you're going to you're going to take the car to your to your own mechanic to get verified that this car is in a certain condition. And the VA is the same way. When you file a claim, the VA is going to send you to an examiner and you never want to leave them the burden of providing the the diagnosis. You want to have that diagnosed prior to going to the exam and you get that from an independent mental health evaluation. You want to make sure that you have a nexus and the nexus can be done uh, from the independent mental health evaluation. And if you leave that burden up to the VA examiner, it increases the likelihood that your claim is going to come back not service connected. But then after those two things are met, you want to make sure that the severity of your symptoms are adequately documented. And that's really, really important for an independent mental health evaluation, whether you're a first time filer or you're filing for an increase. Right. You want to be, you know, extremely vulnerable when you go into that examination. You want to talk about all your symptoms, how they affect your personal and professional life, um, whether it's, you know, it's, it's something slightly like, for instance, if, uh, if you were blown up in an IED in Iraq or Afghanistan just driving along and you don't like to be in your vehicle, you know, because you, sometimes you, you get a little stressed out in traffic, um, you want to talk about stuff like that. that that's a lot of things that uh, a lot of veterans don't, don't think about because it's, they've compartmentalized so much because that's what you're taught to do. Um, you, you stop thinking about the actual stressors and you just live with that stress. Um, so sit down with your coach for sure. And then maybe, you know, talk through and, uh, think about some of those, those, uh, things that you need to talk about, uh, the, and the symptoms that you don't even realize are maybe there. So be, uh, be uncomfortable, uh, be, be, uh, uncomfortably vulnerable in that, uh, in that exam. Uh, people ask how difficult it is to win your VA claim. Uh, according to the, the easiest VA, according to VA claims data, um, PTSD is, an, is the number is, the, is in the top three claims against uh, across all groups of veterans. So it's a fairly common claim, and it is an easy claim to win when you have all the evidentiary requirements, right? And there are three types of PTSD claims. There are combat, non-combat, and MSD, military sexual trauma. Combat, oftentimes that can be proven that you have a period of service that qualifies as combat from your DD-214 or awards. And for, that will give you, you know, um, the, so they'll, the, they will concede the event. Then with the 0781, that's the, stressor, that's the stressor form you fill out, you can direct the VA to specific instances where you endured combat and, and, and acquired trauma. Non-combat can be a little more difficult to prove that stressor event. With non-combat, sometimes you have to get extra evidence outside of just your, your what, what is in service. So maybe you were in a bad car accident that caused trauma. And so maybe you have those insurance claim reports or there was a significant event in or near your installation and there's a news article. Sometimes your crashes generate news articles. Submitting those things with your claim along with the 0781 will help verify the stressor event. MST, 
that one can be harder too. A good thing to do with MST is to show that there were uh, mitigating circumstances uh, surrounding that period of time. So maybe, maybe there was an event and you started requesting to switch units or stations without what, what was known to the chain of command is a significant reason, right? You're just trying to get out of there and you don't want to say anything. Um, that can show that there was a, an incident. Um, degra degraded performance, your performance reports, uh, counseling statements, NCOERs, OERs, things like that. Your, your performance significantly declined after a certain period in time. Um, those things can all be used to, to show that, that that event occurred. For older veterans, sometimes they have a hard time acquiring records or getting the VA to find those records. And when you fill out that, that stressor form, you can also fill out a personal statement and give additional information and and tell them where and when as close as possible that these things occurred and in your statement ask you know say you know the va has a duty to assist go get these records what about buddy statements donnie i think um for personal or buddy statements for ptsd claims if we're talking about the verification of an event Sworn statements are, are a lot better, in my opinion. Um, buddy statements, especially if you if you get a lot of them, if you have a number of people saying this happened, that can really that can really carry a lot of weight. Um, obviously, something more verifiable, like a newspaper report, something like that, or you know, more objective evidence. Is going is it carries more weight? But if you get a number of people saying, "Hey, this event happened," then I have seen that verify the event also. Right, like especially with MST, maybe um, maybe there won't be necessarily a, an article, but um, if you do make a um, <clears throat> if you go make a uh, restricted report or a non-restricted report, and um, or if you go to the hospital and get checked out, stuff like that, that could also definitely help you. For sure, for sure, and. One of the hardest things to do when you are going, when you're putting your claim together is one, recognizing the symptoms of your PTSD and then two, being able to relate those to somebody else. And the way I got really good at identifying the, how, which problems I had that were associated with PTSD is by going to the VA and going through therapy. And when you do that, you're going to one, get a diagnosis from the VA and two, be able to learn what behaviors, what thoughts and what actions are associated with your mental health, your PTSD. And three, you might just get make a little improvement in your life, right? You might feel better. You might start being able to manage things a little better. And even if that's only 1% better, that's 1% you didn't have before going and talking to somebody, right? Um, I think that, you know, it's time to remove that stigma of mental health. And if you're, if you're going to get 
if you're going to file a claim for an increase or your first time for service connection, it's super important to have documented medical treatment, right? You, you want to be going to get help. It makes your claim better, but it can make you better. Right. What are some of the um, the stigma that we, we still we still go through today as coaches? I think one of the most important, one of the biggest ones that I get is, it, um, is the government going to take my my firearms from me, or can I am I going to lose my job? Um, stuff like that. Can you kind of walk us through some of those? Uh, how how some of those may or may not be true? Yeah, absolutely. So you know, and the government may absolutely try to take your guns from you, but I don't think it's gonna it's not gonna be from your PTSD rating. <laughs> You know, I don't, I don't know what they got cooking in the background, but PTSD is not going to be the reason you lose your guns. You can have a 100% PTSD rating and still um, exercise your Second Amendment right. Yep. I am 100%. I am 100% rated for combat PTSD, and I can have all the guns that I want. Yeah, I mean, the, 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 the you're, you're, you're still going to fall into the same local and federal regulations as anyone else. Um, the, uh, now, what if I'm a police officer, which I'm not, but what if I'm a police officer? Am I going to lose my job or is it, is it any of that agency's business, whether I have PTSD or not? Yeah. It, so it, it depends on the level of law enforcement, whether you're required to, to, to uh, disclose that information. People who carry certain levels of clearance are required to um, furnish their documentation, but the, the stigma of mental health and service has really changed a lot. So what they require is that you be managing your symptoms or seeking help. You may uh, have to get a letter from your provider saying that you're, they don't think you're going to shoot somebody while on duty um, that when, when it's not warranted. But other than that, I think, I think what law enforcement is learning that it's better for people to admit that they have problems and go and get help than people to be job scared and not admit their problems and then something happens while on duty and then the force has the liability and there's, you know, a lot more problems associated with that. So that, that, that is, is really being diminished and is not as career hampering as normal. Thanks for answering those. I asked those because those are the most common questions that I get. And maybe uh, our viewers are probably thinking some of the same things. So I get those knocked out real quick. So we have a question, can someone prove MST if they have never filed a complaint or sought treatment? Yes, you can, but so if you've if you've never sought treatment, I would encourage you to, to do so. There it's it's the more treatment you have, the more medical evidence you have in that regard, the more likely your claim is to be successful. Um you would, if you have never sought treatment, you would absolutely require an independent mental health evaluation. You you would you need a diagnosis to file that claim. If you file a claim, if you go on you know va.gov, you fill out the 526 easy, and you file a claim with absolutely no evidence attached to that, no no IMO, no no diagnosis, no nexus, then it'll it you probably won't even get a CNP exam. It'll be rejected as soon as it gets up there. There has to be some evidence and I would not file a, a, any claim. I would not file any claim really without a, without a diagnosis. Right. And that just goes back to the clues, triangle, right? You need the in-service event. You need the, um, the nexus and the, and the diagnosis. I mean, filing, like you said, filing that easy without any 
supporting evidence is just uh, don't waste your time. Please don't do that. Get with your coaches. Make sure that you are going through the proper uh, channels, proper steps, getting all the paperwork lined up, then submit and get that winning claim. So Ricky Dowdy asks, so are you saying that because people joined the military and since we are not in our natural habitat where we grew up and went to school, then we may or may not have PTSD? So to answer your question, Rick, I would say that we are, in this instance, we're interchanging mental health with PTSD. So I would say that given that scenario, we're, we're more likely to have mental health issues, not necessarily PTSD. PTSD has a different burden of proof. It, it requires a traumatic event. And I think that, um, that, that necessarily, and a lot of people interchange the words mental health and PTSD too often. And it's important when you're doing mental health that you are not mistaking PTSD and mental health issues. So when you go and seek help or you get a mental health evaluation, go in there and explain your symptoms and allow them to do their job. They'll give you the diagnosis. They'll say, this is what it is. And then you can slap that label on it. But until then, you know, let's not interchange those words and pigeonhole ourselves. I handled military funeral 69 to 70. The former NCO trainer for this responsibility committed suicide on the way to his next assignment. The former company commander wrote a buddy letter for me. I've been trying to get my military records for six months. I was treated at a VA clinic 75 to 76, and they have nine of my records. They stopped treating because I wasn't a disabled vet. There was no PTSD in, until 1980. So that is correct. So uh, PTSD entered DSM-3 in 1980, and prior to that, they had different terms for it. So this isn't in the form of a question, but I'm going to turn it into one. Are you? I'm going to assume you're asking how you get service-connected for said PTSD. I would go and get an independent uh, mental health evaluation and get that diagnosis and get that nexus and file that claim with the 0781 and then a personal statement outlining as many details of that scenario as possible. And I think you would have a, a pretty um, solid claim. But again, Kevin, you could have PTSD, you could have depression, you could have mixed anxiety with depressive episodes. Um, go in and talk about your symptoms. I think people, people, uh, you know, PTSD is so commonly known that people associate to say everything is PTSD, but really that's just, you know, that's just a label. And what we need to do is just speak to our symptoms and, and allow the professionals to, to label it. Can I use private doctor diagnosis? Yes, you can. I encourage anyone though, who is doing a PTSD claim to also go to the VA and get a diagnosis from a VA psychologist or psychiatrist. And you can do that. You can just, you know, you can carry your records over to them and say, Hey, I've been diagnosed with PTSD from this person. I, I wish to seek treatment. 
and that will add a lot of weight to your claim. What is a nexus? All right, Robert. So, and as, as uh, Coach Andrew said just a little bit ago, there are three, three requirements to a claim. There's the in-service event or stressor. There is a current diagnosis, right? So you have to go and get a diagnosis saying that there's something wrong with you now. And, and, and current typically means within the last 12 months. So within the last 12 months, you have a diagnosis saying that this condition still exists. And then the nexus is kind of like, I call it the glue that holds those together. The nexus is the medical rationale that says your current condition is at least as likely as not, or more likely than not, related to that in-service event or stressor. It binds them together. And yeah, but it's basically, hey, A happened, so B is the diagnosis because of that A. So yeah, right. Like so it's the plus sign between A and B, <laughs> basically. Yeah, and sometimes uh, that's that's uh, you know can be called continuity of care also. So say like you know this happened and you've gone to the doctor continuously since then for that same condition, that would be a nexus. But it's going to have, even that needs to usually come in the form of a doctor writing their statement saying that they've been seeking this care this whole time and that care is related to that initial event and the current diagnosis. So Kathleen, yes, that's, I mean, it looks like you already have your IMO. Um, Kathleen asks, I've been seeing a licensed social worker in private practice for many years who specializes in trauma work. Seeing her on, on and off over the last three years, she diagnosed me with PTSD. Will that count for anything? Yes, that is, that is your IMO, especially if it's a current diagnosis, which it sounds like it is. Um, that is 100%. Yeah, that's exactly what we're talking about. Yeah, you still may want to get an independent mental health evaluation for that nexus, most social workers probably will not provide you with that nexus statement, but that absolutely that diagnosis, um, you have that, and you, you would you would want to include that in your records when you file it when you file your claim. Good question, David. So, how mental health works is mental health. Once you're service connected, they rate you and give you a percentage. Um, zero through 100 with breaks at 10, 30, 50, and 70. And those percentages are based on each percentage is associated with specific symptoms and an occupational or, or social um, dysfunction. And every diagnosis, whether it's PTSD, depressive disorder, adjustment disorder, they all are, are based pretty much on the same 31 symptoms. And so when you get an additional mental health diagnosis for, for instance, um, mine, mine started the other way. I started with PTSD and eventually was diagnosed also with major depressive disorder from being depressed, from messing my life up, from having PTSD. And they combine those, you, you know, you can, you'll get rated You'll get service connected for both, can get service connected for both, but they'll be lumped together and you'll get one overall rating. And that's to avoid what they call pyramiding of symptoms. You can't be rated twice. There's a prohibition against the pyramiding of symptoms. If you, you can't be rated twice for the same symptoms, if that makes sense. 
which right. Which, so a lot of time their mental health is lumped with mental health. Like um, you're not going to get like anxiety if you have, you know, I was, I was diagnosed with um, chronic PTSD, severe anxiety and depression, but my, my entire hundred um, percent P and T is because of just PTSD. They didn't, they didn't throw mental health and or they didn't throw a depression and anxiety in there. Um, they basically, they, they lumped it all together or gave you the biggest one. Is that correct, Donnie? They gave you the biggest one. Correct. So which one should you get first, a VA or private independent doctor? I would go and get your independent mental health evaluation ASAP, right? Um, if you're with us, get, a, get, get with a coach, talk to him about it, get, get that independent mental health evaluation. And I would take my, here's what I tell people to do. If you're, once you're diagnosed, take that, just take your IMO in. Um, that, that, that the IMO is the independent medical opinions, the report that examiner is going to give you. Take that into the VA and say, hey, I, you know, I've been diagnosed and I'd like to seek treatment. <clears throat> I have a friend named Tony who, who asked, just because I filed for PTSD, that doesn't mean I'm crazy, does it? No. So... To be clear, I don't think crazy is a clinical term. I mean, I think I'm a, I'm crazy and I have PTSD, and you know, I think that's more of a that's more of a a, a lay term. But no, it doesn't mean you're crazy. And I, you know, I, I think that um, people who can go get help for PTSD or what uh, what whatever other mental health condition um, they may be suffering from are actually they're I think they're brave and yeah. I, it shows courage and insight and you know. I, 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 I applaud those people. I, I couldn't agree more, Donnie. I mean, PTSD, most most folks with PTSD suffer silently. Donnie's been one of my closest friends for a decade plus. I, had, I, I knew exactly what he did in Iraq, but I didn't know he was suffering. I didn't know what he was going through personally. What, did he act crazy? No, he was a little wild man sometimes. But crazy? No. I mean, it, so many people deal with mental health issues in so many different ways. Um, I'm so glad that the U.S. military, especially, is starting to destigmatize it, and um, and really, you know, especially active duty guys. Uh, depending on, you know, some units are better than others, but um, no, I mean, there's guys, there's you know, 30 year command sergeant majors that were diagnosed with PTSD, you know, 20 years ago, and they have great careers. Doesn't mean you're crazy. It just means that you, you know, did your job. <laughs> you know, you went, you you signed up, you went and you went and saw some hairy stuff. Um, something terrible and it affected you and you know you're going to keep pushing through life with those scars and, and with those you know with with those uh yeah scar i mean I, I don't know how else to put it i mean it's a scar and um you know what, what do scars deal what do scars do they heal right um so you're not crazy you just uh you did some you, you did some things you saw some things and um, you're dealing with it. And I'm proud of you for being here. And I'm proud of your friend for asking the question. If he's asking a question, he's not crazy. Let's be real. So um, seeking help and um, and pushing through life after you've seen something and after you've gone through something that, that affects your mental health, that, that just, that's a sign of bravery. That's a sign of courage. Um, and that is not crazy. So and to put that into perspective real quick, I'm going to I want to I want to throw out a few of these 100 percent symptoms and show you how experiencing them doesn't mean you're crazy, right? So um, total occupational and social impairment due to such symptoms as gross impairment in thought process or communication. So you you, you get you shut down so much sometimes that you really just can't communicate. 
Um, you're not thinking straight. You know, you're you're you're, you're just you're 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 out of it. You're you know, does that mean that you're crazy? No, you, you know, you're you're dealing with stuff. Um, persistent delusions or hallucinations. You know, people people often miss uh, miss. They think this is like seeing, you know, the tooth fairy flying in your window and someone talking in your ear on the shoulder. And that's not really what that is. You know, delusions can be thinking the government's out to get you, which I mean, I think they're out to get you. Um, thinking that people are trying to get in your house that aren't trying to get in your house. Um, you know, thinking there's there's schemes out there. And I, I think this is more common than people people realize. Hallucinations, that could be. You know, you, you, you look over in a crowd and you think you see one of your fallen battle buddies, but then, you know, oh, but, the, but he's not there. You're driving on the road and you think, you, you know, you think you see an IED on the side of the road and, it, you, you know, you kind of swerve, but you realize that, it, you know, it's just trash because, you know, you've been you've seen IEDs before. Maybe you're an IED strike um, in uh, inability to form activities of daily living, including maintenance of mental and personal hygiene. That kind of goes back to that, you know, you just shows shut down that you don't take care of yourself for periods of time. Um, and it doesn't mean that you never do. Obviously, you're still alive, so you must eat at some point and stuff. But it doesn't make you crazy. You know, it just makes you. Uh, makes you hurt. Makes you hurt. hurt. You know? Yeah. I mean, whew. you're not crazy. <laughs> you know, I hate that word. Yeah, you're talking about like a sports play or something. <laughs> you know? No, you're not crazy, brother. You're just hurt. That's exactly. all. Exactly. Regarding the idea of pyramiding, would I file for MST or PTSD since the origin was MST, but result resulted in multiple symptoms? PTSD was also tied into physical injuries sustained that I that have lasted a lifetime. So, MST is the in-service event or stressor. So you don't file for the in-service event or stressor. So to put that in perspective, if you get a TBI from a car crash, you don't file for a car crash, you file for the TBI. So you, you file for PTSD. Um, once once you, know, you have your diagnosis, and I would suggest going to get a, a nexus, get an independent mental health evaluation. And then you file for PTSD and you fill out the, the forms associated with PTSD that um, verify that stressor events, you know, the 0781. And then in a personal statement, you know, you want to have in the, the details that are going to allow them to verify that event. And then any supporting evidence you might have, whether that's um, uh, buddy statements, sworn statements, uh, NCOERs, things like that. What about becoming violent after witnessing a traumatic event? That um, yeah, the uh, that's you know that's a hundred percent symptom. Kind of falls uh, under grossly inappropriate behavior, persistent danger of hurting yourself or others. Yeah, that's that's a symptom of a hundred percent VA rating. Yeah, and um, I also encourage you that if that is the case, to go and seek help. Uh, no one, no one wants to live with that that level of uh, anger and hostility. And I would tell you from. From personal experience, if you are experiencing, if you're acting out with anger and violence 
Anger is a secondary emotion. Anger is a masking emotion. You're acting out anger with anger and violence because you're in pain. You're hurt. Maybe there, maybe it's sadness. Maybe it's it's guilt, shame, depression. You know, it, it, there, there's it, and most likely it's all of these things, right? So um, let's go talk to somebody about that. And in the process of talking about that with someone, your claim is just going to get stronger because you're, you're, you're building medical evidence. Right. And don't ever stop seeking help, too. I mean, if those just because you get rated 100 percent, don't think your journey is necessarily done. You even if it's P&T, go get help. Um, you're not going to lose your P&T because you're seeking help. You know, trust me, you're, you're, you're going to want to see somebody. And, you know, I talk to people all the time. I talk to Donnie all the time. I mean, just whether you're seeing a friend or a doctor or somebody, just talk to somebody. Get 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 your get your thoughts out, you know. Put them out there in the in uh, you know. Talk to somebody you can trust. Don't ever stop seeking help if you always feel if you're always feeling hurt, if you're feeling bad, if you're feeling angry, if you're feeling sad. You know, I know. You know, even when I'm 35, you know, when I was a kid, I was always told, you know, you know, we all grew up telling, you know, saying, hey, bottle it up, bottle it up, man. You're supposed to be a big tough guy, you know. Bottle it up, you know. Um, don't, <laughs> just don't. It doesn't help anybody. So keep seeking help, please. Yeah. I mean, as, as Andy's saying, you know, you're in the service and you're, you're, but you know, you play sports, you grow up told be a man, you know, or, or be strong. And then you get in the service and they suck it up and drive on, suck it up and drive on. Well, take your boots off and stop driving on. You don't have to be Hua anymore, right? There's, there's no mission. The mission is get healthy and, and do the best to get the most out of your life that you can. That's your mission now. I've been seeing the VA for a few months for counseling, but plan on seeing an outside doctor for next letter. Is that a good approach? Yes. To answer your question. Yes. So um, VA examiners typically won't do Nexus letters. And also, when you go to the VA, so there's two, four, two, two sides to the VA, right? There's VHA, or actually three parts, but we're going to discuss two. There's the VBA, the Veterans Benefit Administration, the VHA, the Veterans Health Administration. And those sides really don't work together a whole lot. And the doctors associated with the VHA aren't, aren't really in the know on, on benefits stuff. They don't really know claims and disability stuff as far as they know it from the uh, clinical side, but not from the claim side. So they, they, most of them don't know how to write a nexus properly. And even if they do, they tell you it's a conflict of interest and they're not going to do it. And, you know, that's like saying, going and walking into a store and saying, I slipped and fell here last week. Will you write me a letter saying that you're responsible for that damage I have in my spine? The store is going to tell you to, to get out. No, not only, not only, not only get out, but don't come back. Right. <laughs> We're not, we're not going to pay for that. Um, yeah, and your coach, your coach will point you in the right direction for a Nexus letter. Yeah, absolutely. So if, if you guys are uh, elite members, talk to your coach um, and attend the classes. We're talking about, and you're talking about he and I talking all the time and stuff. And, you know, that, that, that re replaced or renewed camaraderie really helps. Uh, attend our classes, man. We're, we're in there. Veterans are kicking it. They're having a good time. We're answering questions. Um, and that's, and that's, that's, that's what, and that's what this is about. Uh, you know, obviously we want everyone to get the, uh, disability rating they deserve, but we also want to provide community and impact and life changes. 
That's what we're here to do. Life changes. Will TRICARE cover an independent evaluation? How does one go about starting one? Um, so an independent mental health evaluation is typically not a medically necessary process. And so insurance usually won't cover it. Uh, you're, you're asking for an evaluation for the purpose of filing a disability claim, which isn't, isn't, isn't really seeking help. So um, you go about getting one by, by finding someone who knows how to do one. Um, you know, we, we are able to uh, send our clients to providers that, 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 that know how to do this. We can get, you know, refer them over and um, they can go get those. And, you know, that I don't know, you know, I can't speak for every region. I don't know if there's someone in your hometown that's familiar with doing those. What you want to make sure that, that you can do, though, is see a provider that not only does that mental health evaluation, but is able to write the report in a way that is consistent with VA language. That is very critical for the purpose of filing your claim. Absolutely. And your coaches are, your coaches will know exactly who to send you to um, for most cases. So, yeah, get with your coach if you're an elite member. I encourage you to sign up if you're not one already. Um, it's Trust me, it's, an, it's a big investment into the rest of your life. Um, the mental evaluation I got through VACI was worth every penny and more, and more. It is a great tool. Thanks, Terry. It really is. A, it really is a, a, you know, a, a great tool. And I want I want to explain why. Let me let me let me just explain why um, the mental health evaluations that IMO is very important and whether it be for an initial claim or an increase. So an initial claim, it's really important because it's going to provide two of the sides of the Clusa triangle, right? It's going to have the nexus and the diagnosis. And that is really important for service connection. And on the increase, it's going to show the increase in severity of your symptoms, given that your symptoms warrant it. Now, without an IMO and you file a claim for increase, you're, uh, you're putting all of your eggs in one basket. You're hoping that the VA examiner isn't biased. And uh, too often I see people that have, you know, PTSD much more severe than they are rated, go to a VA examiner and come back with an, with an unfavorable exam, which um, then turns into an unfavorable rating. And if you go to that exam without an IMO, you have very legal ground to, uh, very, very little legal ground for, on which to fight that decision. But if you have an, an, an independent medical opinion that, that, meant, that, that mental health evaluation, you can file a higher level review and say, hey, look, here is this, this, this opinion of this doctor and opinion of this doctor. You took this one, but legally you have to take this one. And, you know, there's a lot of fancy terms you can throw out in there, equipoise and probative value and stuff like that. But what matters is legally they have to take the one that's more favorable to the veteran, more favorable to their rating. It might not be favorable and you think about the conditions being worse, but it's favorable to the rating. <clears throat> Can you get TRICARE after a total and permanent rating? Paul, no, you may not. Um, you, you can't unless, um, you know, you have other qualifying factors. Right, you, like you're retired. 
Right. Correct. Um, you, retired from the service, not retired, just period. Right. Yeah. yeah. Right. Um, your dependents will get Champ VA, but you will still have the same level of care at the VA um, as as normal. So what you do, you get dental and vision once you're 100% PMT. So, Mark, sadly, though, you can lose a PNT rating if the counselor indicates that your symptoms are improving. So to address that question, um, I would say it takes more than just a single reporting of your symptoms improving. Once you're permanent in total, um, they, they, they remove all routine future future exams, excuse me, and it can be reduced if you're if you are shown to improve, but it has to be shown to be sustained improvement. It can't just be like, oh, yeah, I'm having a good day. Oh, yeah, take his rating away. What I would suggest, though, is if you are PNT, to continue to seek care for your conditions. I mean, you, you, were, you were rated that way because you have conditions severe enough to warrant it. And if, the, if, if that is such, then continue to seek care because your quality of life is going to be better and it protects your rating. It's, it's, a, it's a double whammy. Right. Um, so an IMO is an independent medical opinion, uh, Linda. So that's, uh, for instance, like we've been, uh, Donnie's been talking about uh, if you go see a, um, a private physician, uh, private practitioner that's going to diagnose you and give you an opinion of, okay, well, I, I believe that you are, you do suffer from uh, post-traumatic stress disorder or depression or anxiety or 31 other mental health diagnoses. Um, and, uh, to answer your question, OJ, what is TRICARE? TRICARE is the medical service that active duty, um, use. That's the, uh, military's, um, service provider, TRICARE. Will the VA diagnosis override the independent exam that was done first? So this is a multi-part question. When you file a claim, raters, the person who rates, who rates you, who goes through your evidence and, and does it first, they're not always perfect. So they might decide to take initially the independent, uh, or the, the VA exam over the independent exam, but legally that's wrong. Legally, they have to go with the exam that's most favorable to the veterans rating and that's where those subsequent processes for holding them to that standard comes into play and it would um and here I, I don't think the diagnosis is necessarily as important as it is if you're talking about for the initial service connection then you're really what's really most important here is um the, that there is a diagnosis and a nexus and then um and then the rating the severity of the symptoms and so legally they can't do they sometimes absolutely and then and that's why movements like this are important because on a large scale we can make we can make sure that we are providing the advice to to veterans to to file those hlrs with well-written legal arguments so that that doesn't continue to happen right if, if we keep letting that happen then those people who do initial ratings eventually become droves and they're doing HLRs and all these other things, and then they're teaching other people the wrong thing. So it's very critical that we we hold them to those standards. 
what happens at a PTSD CNP exam? Well, this de that depends. So it depends on if it's the initial exam or an increase. When you go to an initial exam, you will go over, you'll go over your early history, you know, what happened as a child and things like that. And it's important to know your story and be able to tell it so that they're not, they, they don't try to blame the fact that you didn't get a pony when you were five on <laughs> why you have PTSD now. Right. And I've seen them try to do it. They tried doing it to me. Um, and then you go into your military service, you go to the stressor event and they'll verify the stressor event. And then you'll talk about all, all, you know, all the symptoms you've experienced up till now. And different examiners all have their own way of doing things. Some of them will be like, you know, tell me if, tell me yes or no, if you have this symptom, you know, panic text. Yes. You, you know, other ones will be, we'll get to that partner. Just like, okay, what's going on with you? And you got to know your story. You got to be able to tell them what's wrong with you in a way that they understand that you're exhibiting these symptoms. Um, you know, and some of them will kind of do a back and forth. They'll ask you a few questions and then they'll let you talk and speak. But at the end of the day, you got to be able to know your story to make sure your story is out of you before you leave that room. So it's in their ears. So it goes on that paper and goes to the Raider. You have to make sure that happens. Now, an increase is slightly different because an increase typically is supposed to start from your last CNP exam until now. They're supposed to, it's been evaluation of the last period that you were evaluated until this period. Now, like I said, all examiners do things differently. So maybe they, they do or don't still poke and prod about your childhood or this or that, but that's how it's supposed to go. What is an HLR? An HLR is a higher level review. Okay, so when you file your initial claim, you file that on the 526, uh, and you can do that in the 526 easy through the portal, um, and it goes in front of, it goes to one person who evaluates your evidence, assembles that evidence, and then off to someone who, who uh, rates, and then they adjudicate and all this stuff, whatever. You get a decision back that you don't like. Within 12 months of that period, you can file a higher level review and ask that a senior level rater I think they're called DROS, um, reevaluates your claim. And you can do that. You can file an HLR with no argument and just have them take a blank look at your, reevaluate it and see what their opinion is. I don't advise that. I advise that you do a written argument, a written argument that is has legal precedence, right? Understand what why the CFR supports your the decision you're saying should have been made, right? Like I should have been rated higher. I should have been service connected. Why? What, what is the legal basis for that based on the information you have and uh, the, the law available? And you can't add new, you cannot add new evidence on HLR. You can only provide an argument. And I, I always suggest, you know, do the, uh, don't, don't do the formal conference or informal conference. Just have your argument so they, they have to evaluate that argument based on the evidence. Um, and then, and then, depending on what the situation is, they may they may you know re adjudicate your claim. <clears throat> Mike, um, so do I need to be at one hundred percent for my kids to get 
what kind of benefits can my kids get? Which one's one's 18 in college and my other is 15 in high school. So it depends on what so some states have benefits based on for, for dependents of veterans at varying percentages. So I would say know, know the applicable veterans benefits in your state. For if you're talking about CHAMP VA and Chapter 35, so CHAMP VA is the health insurance provided to benefits of 100% PNT, and Chapter 35 is the educational assistance provided to um, de uh, dependents of 100% PNT veterans, um, which is it's kind of it's kind of similar to the old Chapter uh, 30 Montgomery GI Bill. It doesn't pay tuition, but it gives like $1,258 a month in stipend. And um, those do require that you have permanent and total status. It's like the question slowed down there. Yeah, seeing if we missed anything. Thanks, VACI. I got, I got an increase, but for me, the battle was won, but the war is over. I still have some things that are not even rated, so I'll be working more with VACI till I get everything done. Terry, good to hear, brother. Got to stay in the fight. Keep, keep, keep chipping away at it, man. Keep chipping it away. That's all you can do, and you're in good hands here. I know, I know uh, every single coach I know is, is, is passionate about getting their veterans the benefits they deserve. You know, when, when, when my people win, I, I, I call them up and we celebrate together. And sometimes they, they have that flattened effect, like, you know, the, the, the mental health symptom that they talk about. I'm like, yeah, man, we just got it. And they're like, yeah, man, I'm really excited. And I'm like, what? what? Well, you know, that's just, that's just how it is. I know they're excited on the inside. Sometimes, you know, I don't know about you, but like it, sometimes it takes a while to sink in. I, when I hit my hundred percent permanent total, I, uh, I mean, I still do like log into eBenefits just to see it. I'm like, it's still real. <laughs> Same. Still real. I, mean, I, I had a totally different experience than all of you folks. Um, I, I never needed to use um, a service like like VACI. I had my physical head to toe CAP exam um, when I was still active duty, and then a week later, I had my mental health exam. Um, a month out or literally what was it three weeks donnie i mean after i called you i was like uh <laughs> i got a letter in the mail saying i was 100 percent pnt like a month after my terminal leave ended so I, I i get fired up seeing you guys get that reaction but i was just like oh wow that was easy um and then only to hear the horror stories and now work with so many of them um it's just uh it's great to see you guys finally win and to uh, get all that stuff i was very very extremely fortunate um also real quick annette annette kaiser um she asked uh how do I get a uh, schedule a CMP exam? Uh, <clears throat> call 1-800-827-1000 and go ahead and schedule your CMP exam if it's taking so long. Um, she she said that she's uh, been waiting on a couple that need to get scheduled. And um, yeah, that's that's how you get it, Annette. You go ahead and give that number a call. It's 1-800-827-1000. Uh, uh, Brandon Tango says, <clears throat> Chapter 30 is for the veteran. Chapter 35 is for dependents of 100% T vets. Yes, correct. Um, and, and thanks for pointing that out. What I was saying is chapter 35 is like chapter 30 in the in the effect that it only pays a monthly stipend. 
and does not pay for tuition and books. How can I get access to my medical records? Leroy Hill. Leroy, that question needs more clarification. So if you go to the VA currently, then you can get access to those VA records through your blue button report. You can also go to the, uh, the, the VA hospital and go to the records department, ask them to, to give you on disk um, everything that they have for you. Um, if you're talking about your service treatment records, then uh, you can send off your C file. We usually, you know, I usually don't recommend waiting to file a claim until we have your C file. There's a lot of stuff you can, you can get done without that. Uh, I'm sure that uh, someone, one of, one of the great VACI coaches watching will post a link to the recent article. There's a faster way that Brian just put out to get that, um, that, that C file. Uh, it takes six to eight weeks as opposed to like the typical year or years that it used to get, it used to take to get it. Um, and then if you see, if you're talking about private providers, you would have to contact that private provider and see how to access your records. If you go to our, um, if you go to our website, VA claims, VA claims insider.com, um, and go look at our blog and just type in C file, it'll bring up a, uh, <clears throat> it'll bring up a blog entitled wondering how to get your VAC file fast. Here's three tips on how to get it online. And uh, it'll give you a, a ton of information there. It's, it's great. Our blog is amazing. If you haven't looked at it yet, there's tons of information there. Garrick L. Gates. I came late and missed Donnie's question. If the VA is doing my counseling for PTSD, is this enough to file? I would say, in my opinion, you don't want to file until you know without a nexus. You you don't want to leave that up to the VA examiner. I would say get an independent mental health evaluation that provides a nexus. Um, if if you have a diagnosis from the VA, that should be enough to force them to send you to a CNP exam. But without an without an IMO, in my opinion, you you're putting too much control of your claim in the hands of a VA examiner because you're allowing them to write a nexus. Let me just tell you this here, not too long ago, we served a client who had a uh, bronze star with a V device and a purple heart who had been denied twice for PTSD. If that's not enough for, for, for verification, then, you know, I don't, I don't know what it is. So that's why I say get, get those mental health evaluations from an independent provider and file your claim and don't, don't put it in the hands of a, of a VA examiner and, and expect them to, um, you know, do, do the right thing. Right. And, um, let's see, uh, Mr. Solomon L, uh, was shot at in Iraq during a convoy and that was in my stressor, but there is no record of the event. So the car says, how do I combat that? Uh, Don, you want to grab this one? I would say, you know, uh, your MOS, your, if you have your DD-214 that says you were in Iraq, you know, X, X years when combat was heavy, your MOS, if you were on convoys, that could be, you know, um, that could be enough right there. But then you want buddy letters and you want, you need to get a diagnosis and all that kind of stuff as well. Yeah, I would get some some buddy letters. Um, if you uh, as first thing, as, as uh, Andy said, go, go and get a diagnosis, go get help, go talk to a medical professional. 
and then accumulate your evidence get get those uh, buddy statements we put them on sworn statements and um you know be specific on the 0781 and in in a personal statement to really outline um how 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 things happen where you were and and how that related to trauma and right. um the, the the va the va sometimes finds records and you know and can go and find those um that being said it is 12 o'clock so i want to thank you all for coming out spend this time with us andy my brother from another mother love you man hey, love you brother hey love all you guys thank you so much for spending some time with us uh you know steel serpent steel so whenever you ask us questions you learn and we kind of learn as well so uh, thank you guys very much for joining us. Um, just real quick, I want to answer that la one last question. Alan says, uh, would working as a traffic homicide, uh, let's see, whoop, I lost him, investigator as a non-combat PTSD. I cannot give you a diagnosis, but I think you have a pretty strong case if you go see a, see a physician, um, an outside provider, and probably get diagnosed. I would say you have a pretty good chance there, yes. Yeah, if you get, if you get diagnosed, then, you know, get that, get that nexus and, and file that claim. Yep. All right, folks. We are out. Boom. <laughs>